Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor, and welcome to Sleep Success, my health and wellness podcast that's going to help you rest easier so that you can live better. On this episode, you'll learn how a former member of the Marines and the Navy became an Emmy award-winning talk show host while navigating a life of absolute insane schedules. Montel Williams, that's right, Montel Williams was a Marine. He will share his fascinating sleep story, but first, let's go to the wake-up call. The Wake Up Call is a part of the show where I deliver the latest news in the world of sleep and give you some useful takeaways. I saw a story in Time recently reported about how there's new research suggesting that quality sleep can help ward off Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Christy Yaffe, a professor of psychiatry, neurology, and epidemiology at the University of California, San Francisco, studied healthy elderly women and found that those who spent the night tossing and turning were five to 10 times more likely to develop any type of dementia than those who got good quality sleep. Because there's no cure for Alzheimer's, any sort of links to help prevent it are super duper exciting. And remember, we've recently learned that during stages three, four sleep, remember that's your physical restoration sleep that happens in the first third of the night, is where certain proteins get filtered out, and that also helps with the Alzheimer's process. So anything that you can do that can increase your physical restoration, like lowering caffeine and alcohol before bed, can definitely help. In another story, COVID-19 has actually put an incredible strain on doctors and nurses on the front lines. No surprise there. When hospitals get packed with patients, monitoring them can certainly be a challenge. With this in mind, two French companies, Chronolife and Servier, are developing a wearable smart t-shirt that actually integrates multiple sensors and a smartphone application that allows medical professionals to monitor sleep of their patients. Right now, it's not a commercial product, but it's a great advancement that will allow for uh, remote monitoring of patients. And this was one of the most positive developments I've seen um, during COVID for sure. But think about it like this. I mean, this actually allows doctors to be able to monitor their patients from afar, be able to understand what's going on with their sleep and affect them appropriately. So I'm pretty stoked about this kind of new tech that's coming out there. The third study I saw was actually one that had to do with restless legs. Uh, This is a new study that discovered that about 20% of those who suffer from restless leg syndrome, you know, when your legs are kind of kicking around, a creepy crawly feeling just before the beginning of the night, are actually being given doses of medication that are beyond the maximum of what's required. So when you think about those types of situations, especially something like restless leg syndrome, and you look at some of the medications that are used there, those are anti-Parkinsonian medications. Many people don't know this, but restless legs in some cases, about 30% of cases, has to do with low iron. So one of the easiest things you can do if you're experiencing restless legs is get your ferritin checked. That's F-E-R-R-I-T-I-N. That's a type of iron. If it's below 60, just getting a little iron sulfate might actually solve your restless legs problem. Now it's time for today's sleep story. I've had the good fortune to work with an incredibly diverse group of people over my career. One thing I've learned is that it doesn't matter if you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, a major entertainer, athlete, or influencer, or just a hardworking individual, sleep challenges don't appear to discriminate. Everyone has had them at some point, but some people have had schedules that really can exacerbate them. And you'll soon learn about the incredible paths my friend Montel Williams has taken. From military service to motivational speaker, I know you're going to enjoy the conversation. 
Joining me now is one of the most fascinating and accomplished individuals I've personally ever met, my old friend, Montel Williams. Many of you know him as the host of a very successful syndicated talk show, The Montel Williams Show, which ran from 91 to actually 2008. That's 17 years doing that is ridiculously impressive, especially during an era when daytime talk was wildly competitive. And at the top of all of this, he won multiple Emmy Awards for the show. But he's so much more than that. He served our country in both the Marine Corps and the U.S. Navy. He's an actor, he's a producer, and he's the leading spokesperson to teach us more about multiple sclerosis, which he was diagnosed with in 1999. Having served our country, he's entertained audiences, and he's always strived to make the world a better place. I'm thrilled to have him on our Sleep Success podcast to talk about the intersection of health and wellness and sleep. Montel, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me today, sir. Honestly, it's good that we get an opportunity to give some really good information out to people to help make their lives better. I'm excited as well. You know, we're living in a time of some pretty significant uncertainty right now. Um, And, you know, during times like these, people struggle with their sleep. I wanted to just kind of check in with you and, and say if your sleep, how has your sleep been recently? And then how has your routine been impacted? I got to tell you, you know, this last three months has been, you know, a little bit on the shaky ground for me as, as of, if I look at my life in general, um, you know, a little bit more stressed out, like a lot of people are, way, way more stressed out. Um, and it seems like some of the, the issues of the day or, you know, the, the outburst of the day make me reverberate and think through the evening which has been tough, but I've been, I've been doing fairly good. You know I mean? I, I, I get consistent. I try to make sure, you know, I paid attention to a couple of your rules. I'm trying to make sure I have a good, healthy sleep habit. So I'll try to make sure, you know, there may be an aberration here or there, but most of the time I and my wife are shutting everything down by 10 30 and we're in the bed and it takes me about a half hour to go to sleep. So 11 o'clock I'm asleep. And I try to every single day get my butt up by 8.30 at the latest. Sometimes I'll get up at 8, 10 minutes to 8, but 8.30 at the latest, no matter what's on the schedule. So I love the fact that you have such a regiment and a routine. And, and you know, routine be, is such an important, important aspect of sleep. I wanted to give people a little bit of perspective on how uh, you've kind of gotten to where you are. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your past. Um, and since you brought up routine, you know, I'm going to ask you about your time serving our military. How did being in the military in particular affect your sleep? Cause I know they do some crazy things there for people during certain times. I will tell you that the military wrecked my sleep for 20 years. Yep, I've heard that before. Uh, I, uh, I did 17 years straight through active duty and another additional couple of years in reserve. So I've, you know, I've got, I've got a, I got a career that spans from 1974 to 1996, though some of that was inactive reserve time. But I will tell you that during my active duty time, I used to pride myself, which is really stupid, thinking that I only needed three or four hours of sleep a night, which is really ignorant. I literally probably went the whole 17 years getting on average about three to four hours maximum a night. Uh, you know, I did I was on deployment multiple times. I have well over, you know, 380 days on the top of the water. I have over 300, 300 days under the water. What does that mean, under and, the water? In submarines. 
So that's interesting. I bet sleep is really interesting in a submarine. That's that's what wrecked my sleep pattern for life. Oh, tell us more. Sleep. Tell us more. The important reason is because you're you're on a twenty four hour clock. You're not on a day and night schedule. Mm. I did deployments that you know you close a hatch, right? And about eighty five to ninety five days later, you open a hatch. Holy cow! So you don't see sunlight. You don't hear a fish. Feel a breeze on your face. You don't get a cut, and you're under the water, and so night day doesn't matter. Wow, it's a twenty four hour clock, and I happen to have the type of job that I work directly for the captain of the ship in small contingent. Okay, and so I basically got to sleep when he was asleep, huh. and I was awake before he woke up, and awake until after after he went to bed, and we were on a we were in uh, you know by by pride myself in getting multiple awards for my service on submarines, but we were in the closest to wartime submarine duty that we could be in during the middle of the 80s. And so, um, so that's like Cold uh, War era, right? Cold War era, very special time. You know, I'm a Russian linguist. We were fighting the Russian bear and literally as close to the war footing as we could be. So what would happen is, you know, we did deployments. We left the East Coast. We went somewhere. I can't talk about it. Right, of course. Still, <laughs> But we went somewhere, and then when we got on station, we literally worked depending on what we found. So uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say you know we arrive, and the clock says 8 in the morning. Well, I may be waiting for something to happen until 2 o'clock the next morning. It happens 2 o'clock the next morning. I'm up till 6 o'clock the next morning. I went 24 hours without any sleep. Then all of a sudden, that mission, that, that little segment of the mission is over. So the captain would say, I'm going to go lay down for a few hours. Okay, Captain, go lay down. He lays down. I know he's asleep. I go lay down for three hours. Somebody comes and wakes me up. The captain's going to get up in 20 minutes. I'm up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He's ready to ask questions. I better be there. Right. And this is now for 75 days straight. Holy so cow. I don't yeah. believe that for 75 days straight on any one of my summary missions that I get more than three hours of sleep in a row. And I might get three hours, be up for four hours, get three hours, be up for 20 hours, get two hours, be up for 40 hours get three hours. You know, oh that's my the gosh, dude, that's no crazy. Sunlight. Crazy. <laughs> no sunlight. And you know, you in, in, on submarine duty back in those days, you walked around, your finger got crooked because you had a coffee cup in your hand all the time. So I'm drinking caffeine 24 hours a day. So really not even getting good sleep after that. And I, I recognize when I, you know, and, and there were, there were times when, you know, again, you're in harm's way. So something alarm would go off or somebody would come wake you up or something just happened. You jump. You're up out of bed. You're running. You're so it's adrenaline. Adrenaline, adrenaline hits. Right. Boom. 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 Right. Boom. And so then once that was done and I was finished those kind of deployments, then I started to realize that I couldn't sleep more than three hours straight. If I was in bed for three hours straight, I get an I get such anxiety that I was missing something. So you so almost jump up. trained your body to get this very small amount of sleep because you had responsibilities on the front end, you had responsibilities on the back end, and these responsibilities were tremendous. I mean, you were, yeah, you know, it's a, unbelievable. Absolutely. Now help me understand something Montel, because I know that you were diagnosed with MS in, I think it was 99, is that correct? Yes, but, yes, but, yes. But we know that MS is not something that just shows up, right? We know that MS has a history with people. And so 
If I'm looking at the dates that you're telling me that you were in the military, what I'm starting to understand is you were doing all of this while having active MS. Is that is that correct? Yeah, let me explain a little bit about that. Now, you know, a lot of people have talked about this a couple of times. We wrote a book about it. Yeah. Uh, but back in the day, I should have been diagnosed with MS when I graduated from the Naval Academy in 1980. In 1980. 1980. Really? I went through a period of time from 1979 through 1980 where I went through what we now know when we look back at history and look at my records. Mm -hmm. I was going through my first MS bout in 1980, or really early 1980, late 1979. I was sent to the military or I was sent to from Walter Reed, Bethesda, Johns Hopkins, and Mayo Clinic. I was sent all over the place because the military couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. You know, but back then, let's look at, remember what the timing is, 1980. Back then, most of the, you know, Dutch references for doctors characterized MS as a disease of Caucasian women of European, Northern European descent. <laughs> and so to find an African-American male, there were no African-American males diagnosed with MS back then. Right. And I think Lola Flano was one of the first African-Americans diagnosed. And then after her, really? Richard Pryor, that, that we knew of that was a personality. So, you know, I kept getting misdiagnosed and the military misdiagnosed me for the next 20 years. So my entire time, as a matter of fact, I, my, my commission in the military was called not physically qualified because of what MS had done to me right before I graduated from the academy. I didn't receive my graduation at the same time my peers. I ended up getting it postponed and retroactive to the date of my class. Oh, wow. I was forced into a very special designation. I was a special duty intelligence officer, not a line officer, which was very important. I'm a Russian, became a Russian linguist and went on to serve there. And I ended up getting more, you know, uh, sea time than most of my peers who had a general commission. However, so I had issues with MS from 1980 all the way through my entire military career. That's the reason why I really pressed myself to work out and exercise yeah. as hard as I did. Yeah, that makes sense. But I also did, I also did really silly things. Like I, I worked out on a submarine right beside an O2 generator, which is the only fusion device that the U.S. military and the U.S. government had back then. Wow. Dude, you're not a, supposed to device. stand next to those things. You're not supposed to stand next to them <laughs> at all. Exactly. You know I mean? And uh, I was also a submarine that had a, you know, a nuclear reactor scram. So I, I You've got gotten my, some pretty decent exposure along the way. So I got yeah. So help me fast forward now to the talk show days, yes. right? Because you were unbelievably popular during that time and you had some fairly controversial things but you you weren't the jerry springer of it all you really did a great job of having high quality good information but that was a pretty competitive time during talk shows i mean you were let me let me give you I, i'm gonna take you a little walk down memory lane a lot of people don't remember my my television show my show started in may of 1991 it wasn't until it wasn't until September of 1991 that the plethora of talk shows really began. Oh. I got on the air early. I got came it. on with an early release. My show went on in May. And back then, there was only four other talk shows and one show that wasn't even considered a talk show. It was Sally, Oprah, Donahue, and Geraldo. And Regis and Kelly, Regis and Kathy Lee, were considered a morning fringe show. Right. They weren't considered a talk show. Right. So my, sh my show went on the air in May. Okay. I had an entire summer before the next four, the beginning of the talk show you know, parade started. And that was 
Ronald Reagan Jr. had a show. Oh my gosh. John Tesh and Lisa Gibbons. I remember had a show. John Tesh's show. Jane Pratt had a show. And um, I think that was it. And it's so crazy. Those three shows, none of those shows survived. Now, when what happened was the media and all the people, you know, reviewing shows put me in with the old guard. So I was uh, considered one of the old shows. And the new guys all became the new guys. Got it. And from the time I went on the air for the next 17 years, over 125 shows came and went, but we were still there. And I stayed in the top five talk shows for the entire time my show was in the air. We were in the top three mm, for probably 12 years and, and about, about eight years. No, sorry, nine years. I was in the top two for oh, at least a good three years. Absolutely. So how did that affect your schedule? You, you must have, I mean, you were already used to only getting four hours of sleep from the military. Did that, did that transfer over? Or, or when did you start to say to yourself, holy cow, I need to start getting some real more rest here? It wasn't for another 20 years. Another 20 I, years? Yeah. I'll tell you, my talk show, and this is a lot of, a lot of the shows and a lot of personalities right now kind of curse me for something that I did. But I was the first show or the first talk show I was really the first show on television. Mm. Game shows weren't even doing it at the time. We taped three shows a day. Yeah, yeah. I knew you were going to say this. I knew you were going to say and, this because yeah, I knew this and, about you. Yeah, and you know, I did it in a really weird, and I and it was really weird for the first couple of years. I lived in Las Vegas and commuted to New York to tape my show. Oh wow! I also I also did a dramatic series in that second year, third year I was on the air, where or no, second year I was on the air. I did a dramatic series, so where I, I literally worked from Saturday until Wednesday morning on my dramatic series, flew back to New York. But at that time, I moved the show to New York, did the talk show for two days, and then went right back to the dramatic series. So I was, I was sleeping in a car, getting, getting extra sleep in the car, going to the set for my dramatic series. Oh, my god! And I was still on that for that 20-year period of time. I was still on that three hours maximum at a time i might wow. you know do three hours a night get up you know uh, and work out then do something for work right. and then catch an hour and a half nap laying down on the couch in the, in the office then go work then you know catch another hour then go work that's it was crazy, crazy. So, all right so yeah, so when did you for lack of a better term wake up to the idea that sleep was so became as important to you was it when you had your stroke I, well, that's, that's what really made me set my pattern was my stroke. Tell me about but it. But after yeah. having, having met you, I, I started realizing <laughs> this is wrong. I, you know, I'm doing is wrong and I know it's wrong. So I try to start stretching that three hours of four and a half to five hours a night. Mm -hmm. I started getting five hours a night, but it wasn't until I had a stroke and a lot of people may not know this, but it was two years ago, you know, um, uh, last month mm -hmm. at the beginning of the month, this month. I suffered what is considered a class four major hemorrhagic stroke. Yep. I had a major bleed in the back of my brain and uh, put me in hospital for a full month. I came out of that and started to realize that, number one, I can't do this stupid idiot anymore. <laughs> I need sleep. And, and it just made me understand I need sleep. Right. So I started getting, you know, I would go to bed during an entire month after a stroke. I was sleeping about 12 hours a day. Right. First, the first week I was sleeping about 24 hours a sure. day. I was just barely up. And so for folks who are listening, that's common post stroke. So right after an, what's called an ictal event or a stroke uh, event, 
um, we see that the, the human that had the event will sleep for excessive periods of time, then that starts to slow down, but it's still large comparatively speaking to what our normal sleep would be. So what you experienced makes a lot of sense, Montel. I don't even remember the first three days in the hospital was such a blur. Sure. I, I kind of only remember waking for very short periods of time and going right back to sleep. Right. Then about day five, I started waking up and then I started realizing, you know what? I'm going to start today. Mm -hmm. I said it to myself, I'm going to start today. Tonight, I'm going to sleep and I'm going to get eight hours straight. And I got eight hours straight the first time and then it was 10 hours, then it was 12. Then I started oversleeping. Right. A little bit. So I was sleeping 12 kind hours. Kind of catching up a little. Catching up. When I got out of the hospital, I was sleeping 12 hours a day and taking a nap every day because I found myself getting tired in the afternoon. Sure. But now I've balanced out. I, you know, now after this two-year period of time, I sleep about, again, seven to eight hours a night. Mm -hmm. And four nights, four days a week, I try to take a nap in the afternoons. I try to get down, lay down about 1.30, mm -hmm. get up about 3.30. You know, I'm, I'm the cook in the house. So I get up <laughs> So, so here's what's fascinating about that for all of our listeners is this makes a tremendous amount of sense, right? Is now that sleep has become something that you recognize this level of importance and sort of what's been going on for you, it's making, it's changing who you are as a human, right? And understanding what's, what's really important for you there. So when you start to think through this as an idea, I know that you and I have a common um, uh, area of interest, which is cannabis and cannabis sleep. And so help us help walk us through how cannabis has been helpful for you during your MS. And then, um, also has it affected your sleep? Cause I, I know listeners are very curious about that. You know, I started, a lot of people don't understand this, but when I was finally diagnosed with MS, which was almost really now close to, you know, in 19, I got diagnosed officially in 2000. And I started seeing doctors again in 99. Uh, when my official diagnosis came through, I literally shifted over to using cannabis as a substitute for what was going to be an opioid addiction that I was almost having because of my neuropathic pain. Right. And I started noticing then. That's when I really got, uh, I think the biggest benefit that I got initially was sleep. And Isn't that fascinating? Absolutely. It helped me relieve some of the tension, especially in my lower extremities. Right. And, you know, I was, I was a person that has night tremors and, and mm -hmm. restless, not restless leg syndrome, but twitching from my MS. Right. And that almost brought that to an end immediately. The cannabis did? Um, but then within a week, I noticed that my twitching at night would go away. That's amazing. Completely. Before I was doing that, I kicked somebody, kicked my wife out of bed. <laughs> I, I was moving so much, I wake me up multiple times a night. But that started a lesson. Right. And right now, I don't go to I sleep every night having consumed some cannabis mm -hmm. every single night that gives me a good eight hour strike so first of all that's an incredible incredible story and it's so fascinating how what you've done over the course of your lifetime and how sleep has had a major effect either the lack of sleep has had a major effect or now finally getting sleep i, I honestly montel i feel like you've got more energy now sometimes than you did back in the day, dude, because you're like, you're fit, you're sleeping well, you're using cannabis appropriately, like all the, like, I feel like you're, you're hitting them on all pistons, as they say. Does, does it feel like that for you? It really does. I mean, I, I've, I've, I haven't felt better in my life than I have in the last year and a half post my stroke, which sounds really crazy. Right. But I mean, I, I think my mental acuity has been, you know, on the cutting edge for me. Um, 
And, you know, I consume cannabis every single day. Mm -hmm. So for those who think that it slows down your brain process, it doesn't necessarily have to, especially depending on, you know, what kind you consume. And, you know, I don't, I'm not a person that, that, that smokes to be, you know, blotto right. or smokes to be, you know, oblivious of what's going on. I smoke, I do micro dosing throughout the day and I do micro dosing in the evening just to make sure that I have carry on this level of cannabinoids in my body. And we know what they do for our cellularly. Exactly. You know, and the fact that it makes it, it's responsible for our cellular homeostasis. I think it's, it's responsible for our emotional homeostasis also. Yeah. There's no question about it. Montel, you know, you've done, you, you've not only been active in the cannabis space, but you've actually produced a line of cannabis, which is quite remarkable. I, I know people would be interested to learn more about that. Help us understand a little bit more about the products that you've created, as well as where people might be able to find them. Well, I think, you know, this is, again, it's long before the whole conversation <laughs> of CBD and cannabinoids was both. Right. I have been consuming CBD products and high level CBD products since almost 2001. And um, Dude, you know, you're before people, the curve. <laughs> way before the curve. Back at the time when the federal government actually, you know, filed for its own patent on CBD. And a lot of people. I didn't know that. that. The U.S. government owns the patent on CBD, something that we ought to all check out. And in that patent, it says unequivocally in the abstract that they put in the patent of what they believe the cannabinoids do. They talk about the fact that cannabinoids have a neuroprotective effect. They have an effect when it comes to stroke and ischemic events. So we know this, that the government has known this now for 20 years. And so, you know, I, I think one of the things that's so important is that, yeah, cannabis can be a fun recreational tool if that's what you want to use it for. But I think that what we have to understand is that we, we as mammals were born with a system in our body that's called the endocannabinoid system. Exactly. That is antagonized by cannabinoids. And it's not just one or two. It's not just THC and CBD. It's all of the others. And we know now that there's well over 160 of them identified. Absolutely. You know, from CBN to CBD, CB, uh, CBD. G, CBD. G, yes. I mean, it's they, unbelievable. They, they, it goes on about THC, THCA, THCV. There's so many variants and all of those things we need in our body to maintain the Goldilocks zone. Absolutely. So, so Montel, help us understand what your routine is oh, yes. for before bed. And then what is the one thing that you feel like you do that helps your sleep the most? And if that's, if cannabis is that thing, that's okay too. But I'd love to know what your routine is and what's that one thing. And then we're going to go to the speed round. Sure thing. Well, you know, real quick with that, so I mentioned, I have a product that's been oh, in yes, the marketplace called Montel. And what I did was I formulated a product that was both CBD and THC rich. Mm -hmm. And then I formulated a hemp product that was a broader spectrum cannabinoid product than just a single CBD product, which is really important. The product can still be found right now online. Oh, good. Then, uh, you know, then it's a scientific. I'm in a process right now of changing manufacturers and hopefully we'll have a new product in shelves within the next three or four months. Well, so, so first of all, I've tried the yeah. product. And it's amazing. And I highly recommend it for people out there if they have an interest. Um, and you should definitely check it out. We'll actually also have in the show notes um, a whole listing of uh, Montel, his website, and how to learn more information from him. Um, but Montel, so tell me. Go ahead. My daily routine, I got to tell you, yeah. man, you know, I'm always we must start your COVID, you know, we're COVID. Right, we're COVID you know, bound. What's uh, your evening routine? What do, what do you do at night before bed? Literally, I try, I, I am an intermittent faster. As am so, I. I love so, it. 
Very important, very important to me. I try to get my last meal in my body before seven o'clock. Okay. Seven p.m. And really, because I'm I'm the one that does most of the cooking <laughs> in the family. You know, we try to sit down. I always sit down at five p.m. and we eat mm-hmm. solid meal. And then we're kind of Netflix junkies, so we we pick our Netflix you know thrill of the night, and we'll do two to three episodes of that. And I normally somewhere around the second episode might have a little bit of popcorn or something else, but I try not to put anything else in my body food-wise after 8 p.m. because I know I'm waking up at 8 8 a.m., so I want 12 hours between the last thing I ate and the first thing I ate. Makes sense. Minimum. But most of the time, it's like right now this morning, I I didn't eat my first meal until 11 o'clock, and uh, you know it was very there was some cereal, and I do have a little coffee in the morning, and that was done at 10.30. I do 10.30 to 11 o'clock coffee, and then I have something to eat. And but so in the evening, so I'll go from say six o'clock to nine p.m. Nine thirty, we're watching episodes, you know, three or four episodes of our show. Then about nine thirty to ten o'clock, we start to wind it down, um, cut the TV off, and then I may just come. I I, I I like to play poker, so I play a little poker on my. I'm a smart poker device. player too, dude. We got to play. <laughs> there you go for sure. I'll play a little poker on my smart device. Get that done uh, by ten fifteen. And then I like to cut off everything and just lay there in silence mm. in my own head. Got it. I, I told, mentioned something to you that I do as a kind of little mantra. Every night before I go to bed, I say, what did I do today that's worth talking about tomorrow? And mm. I try to go through some things that I think are, impre- or, are important that I should share with myself that are positive thoughts for the next day so that when I work up, wake up in the morning, I can review those again right. and realize that I did and had some very special moments the day before. But I, 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 spend, I try to take at least 15 minutes before I start counting myself to sleep. And, you know, and somewhere around 10 p.m., depending on what the Netflix series is that I'm watching, I may go take and consume my first or probably my fifth taste of cannabis of the day. And that's where I'll take a big, you know, whiff of, of something that has probably about a 70 to 80% THC content mm-hmm. and about a 20% CBD content and some CBN, some terpenes, some flavonoids and some other things that are in there. I'll take that and then I'll take another blast right when I walk in after I know I'm shutting it down, right. take another blast. And then I spend that last 15 minutes in my own head and in my own thoughts. I love and I it. try to rush and go out and sleep. So you know what I love about you, Montel, is I love the discipline but I also love the authenticity that you bring with it. You walk the walk and you talk the talk, dude. I love that aspect about you. And I also like the fact that you notice important things that happen in your life and in your day. And I think that's a wonderful way to live your life. I'm so excited to have had you on the show. We're going to do our snooze round now, which is some rapid fire fun questions to ask you so people can get to know you even better. So you got it. So do you have any pets? And if so, are they in your bed? We do have a pet. It's Mr. Max. He's a tiny toy poodle. And he he drives my wife nuts because <laughs> I, first of all, I should also tell you, because of my job in the military, I used to wear these headphones that mm-hmm. loud noises. So I have a little bit of a hearing, hearing loss. loss, especially in the higher frequencies. He will cry at night. My wife will hear him. I won't hear oh, him. Perfect. She picks him up. She picks him up. She puts him in a bed. He will sleep at the end of the bed ah, uh, for so a couple you, hours. Then he wants to get down. Right. Then he wants to get up. <laughs> then he wants to get down. If she does that, I don't. And I wake up and he's there. Give me kisses in the morning. There you go. There's nothing wrong with kisses in the morning. 
All right, which side of the bed are you, right side or left side? I'm a left side, left, left side. Are you, do you like it cool or do you like it cozy? My wife, I've talked to her about since <laughs> we married. This woman loves to sleep in the tundra, my Oh, friend. she likes the colder, yeah. the better. Oh my God. I don't care if we're in, we go somewhere north in the wintertime, she cuts the air conditioner on in the hotel. <laughs> so you're a cool for sure. I'm a cold sleeper. Got it. Yes. What about, do you like to cuddle or do you give them the Heisman? Do you like your space? I, I'm a contact sleeper. Okay. I like to- A contact sleeper. I love that. That's a new term. She's a, she's a non-cuddler, but I, she doesn't mind if I put my hand against her head. Right. So if you have your, if, or your foot touches them, just something to know they're there. there. I want her to be there. Yeah. Got it. TV or no TV when you're falling asleep? I'm TV only until 15 minutes before I go to sleep. I don't like the TV on. I, I hate that. If I wake up and that television was on, I might throw something at it and break <laughs> How many times do you hit the snooze or do you hit the snooze? I don't. I don't. Awesome. That is fantastic. Um, okay. Um, last two questions. Do you have a bedtime snack? No, you're an intermittent faster, so you no, don't. Intermittent faster, so I don't do bedtime stuff. Okay, and then last question, how many pillows do you use? I'm a one pillow guy. Really? Uh, if I take a nap, now very weird, I take a nap, <laughs> I hate to use the term, but I cough and sleep when I nap. Oh yeah, I do too, like Savasana, like you lie there with your hands across your chest, you look like you're dead, I do the same thing, dude. Hands across my chest and I use two pillows on my back. When I go to sleep, I get rid of that second pillow that's flat down on the bed and I'm sleeping. And I'm a, I, I will, I kind of prefer right side sleeping. I was just going to ask what side I, do you sleep on? But I will turn over. I, I, when I wake up, I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night if I, if I do wake up. And I notice I'm back on my back and my head's turned to the left. Unbelievable. Montel, you have been amazing. I cannot oh, thank, you, so thank much, you enough. I hope it wasn't too strange talking about how sleep has affected you and your universe. You have been incredible in the wealth of information and just allowing people into your universe. Thank you so much. Um, I, thank you, sir. I know everybody is really going to be excited to hear this. Um, so for everybody who's, who uh, is out there, we'll have all the information for you to find out more about Montel, what he's up to in the show notes. And then, and that product name one more time, Montel. It's called Montel. It's from Lenative Scientific, and we're in the process of changing formulators. So we'll have it formulated back on shelves, hopefully within the next three to four months. So you heard it. Look for Montel in your dispensaries, right? Yep. In your dispensaries, as a matter of fact, also we have a CBD product that's being sold in various outlets. You can also find it there. Let me say one more last thing. You bet. Folks, Dr. Bruce is no joke. He's telling you the truth. You live by his mantra, you will understand that life will be better for you. Sleep is the most important aspect of our lives. Montel, I can't thank you enough. Montel Williams really is an inspiration, not just for me, but for many of us out there when you look at his discipline and what he's been able to do with his life. You know, looking back at his years and years of sleep loss in the military, I mean, let's be honest, three hours a night, and then in show business where he's taping three shows a day, he really definitely seemed to abuse his sleep cycle quite a bit. Um, and after beating himself up, um, he ended up, you know, of course, having this stroke two years ago. And I feel like that was really a, an, an ultimate wake-up call for him. I mean, his MS had definitely been worse with sleep deprivation. And I think he's recognized that now. But just getting 
more sleep and higher quality sleep clearly had a tremendous influence on him. Of course, using cannabis has been helpful for him in getting uh, more sleep. And actually, my my favorite part of the interview with Montel, um, honestly, was learning about his routine, his evening routine. You know, he kind of he's an intermittent faster, stopping things around seven, watches a little TV until about nine, nine thirty. Um, then he'll distract himself playing some poker on his phone. Maybe he uses cannabis for the final time. But my favorite thing that Montel does is he lies in silence and he asks himself, what did I do today that's worth talking about tomorrow? I think that's a wonderful way to think through positivity and gratitude. As you all know, I'm a big fan of gratitude lists before bed. Remember, optimism has now been shown in the data. If you're optimistic before falling asleep, not only do you fall asleep more quickly, but you have more positive dreams. I think Mondell has sort of figured that one out on his own. I'm just excited to have had that opportunity to speak with him. And now it's time for the mailbag. Remember to email me any questions to drbruce at thesleepdoctor.com. Send me anything wild, weird, or curious questions. I'm excited to hear from you. Okay, let's start with Lenny from Atlanta. Lenny asks, Dr. Bruce, what do I do if I always seem to wake up at 327 in the middle of the morning? So first of all, it's weird, right? A lot of people tell me that they say, gosh, there's this one time that for whatever reason, I seem to wake up and whenever I look at the clock and I just get frustrated. So first of all, let's understand why we're waking up in the middle of the night. One of the reasons for this has to do with the fact that our core body temperature changes somewhere between 2 and 3 a.m. With the change in the core body temperature, you get hotter, which makes your sleep lighter and makes it much easier for you to be able to wake up. So one of the things that you can do to help avoid some of these nighttime awakenings is don't wear socks to bed and keep your feet uncovered. By keeping your feet uncovered, it allows heat to dissipate, you stay cool, and hopefully stay asleep a little bit longer. If you want to learn more, I've actually written an entire blog, not just about keeping your feet cold or warm, but ways to go back to sleep in the middle of the night. Check it out over at thesleepdoctor.com. Next, let's go to Kate from Madison, Wisconsin. Kate asked me an interesting question. She said, Dr. Bruce, I finished dinner around six o'clock, but I don't go to bed until 1130 or 12. Is it okay to have a snack? And if so, what should I have? So a common question has to do with foods and sleep. One thing that many people don't actually know is believe it or not, tart cherries. That's right, tart cherries from Wisconsin Uh, actually have the highest level of melatonin of any fruit out there. Uh, I actually worked with a group called ChooseCherries.com. And if you check out over there, you'll learn that melatonin-rich tart cherries can actually be a great thing to snack on or put into a smoothie. So one of the things I'm talking about now for you, Kate, is you might want to look at something that's got some tart cherries in it. But here's what you really want to look at. You want to have a 250 calorie snack, maybe about 30 minutes before bed. You want it to be about 70% carbohydrates and about 30% proteins. Most people don't know, but carbohydrates increase something called serotonin in our brain, which calms us down and allows the natural sleep process to take over. So having a non-sugar cereal uh, and milk before bed, or maybe an apple with some nut butter, um, or if you're from Wisconsin, maybe you're digging on some cheese and some tart cherries, that will probably help you sleep. 
And finally, we've got Elsa from Portland, Oregon. And Elsa asks me an interesting question as well. She says, Dr. Bruce, even though summer is here, it's getting very cold at night. And I have a tendency to want to bundle up and stay warm. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? Well, Elsa, we talked a little bit um, about how thermoregulation seems to affect our sleep, but we really didn't talk much about clothing. So let's talk for just a second. It turns out that sleeping naked, yep, you heard it here, sleeping naked is probably the best thing that you can do because you're not adding extra layers for your body to have to incorporate when it's trying to figure out what temperature it should be. I'm not saying that you should be freezing cold. Definitely have a nice comforter and make sure that you're comfortable when falling asleep. But if you can, keep it a bit cooler. And by the way, if you can sleep naked, you'll probably get a better night's rest. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you know anyone you think might have a fascinating sleep story and make for a tremendous guest, please send me an email at drbruce at thesleepdoctor.com. That's D-R-B-R-E-U-S at thesleepdoctor.com. If you want more information, feel free to visit my website, thesleepdoctor.com. Sleep Success is a Mant Bros production and executive produced by Michael Mant. I hope you learned something new to help you live better. Until next time, sweet dreams.